Father, may you grant us today hearts and minds. God, not just to catch a glimpse of your goodness, but to soak in all of it that you would allow. That we would know that you are good. That we would know that you are good to those who seek you. In faith, in Jesus. And that we would bank our lives on that. That you are a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And that what you call us to in faith and sacrifice is ultimately out of your heart of goodness to us. Because whether we realize it or not, all of our lives you have been faithful. Let us know that reality personally and embrace it. If we are a Christian, that we would be built up and encouraged and exhorted by that reality of your faithfulness today. And it would cause us to see those places in our lives where we are not being faithful and we would run to you that we might be like you. And God, for those who do not know you, who have never experienced your faithfulness, truly in their hearts, I ask that today you would reveal yourself to them and they would be saved. And they would know your goodness. Help us in worship, in your word, now to hear your word with spiritual ears And grant me, God, the grace to talk about your word in a way that is true, sincere, powerful, not of myself, but of your spirit. And thank you for the privilege of talking about your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Apostle Paul, in Acts 17, when he visited Athens, they were a very religious city religious people, and they had temples and altars built to all of their various gods, but just in case there was a god they didn't know about, they had put up an altar and an inscription to an unknown god. Paul saw this, and he used it as an opportunity. He called the people's attention to this inscription, and he began to preach, saying, I'm going to make known to you the god that you do not know, Christ the Lord, the maker and sustainer of the earth and everything in it. And in in that preaching, Paul proclaimed that Christ is the only God and that He does not live in buildings that human beings make and He does not rely on our work or our service to meet His needs because He needs nothing. But rather, Paul told them that he alone gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. For in him we live and move and have our being. And I want to connect that truth of the word, 
that Jesus alone gives to all mankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything, for in him we live and move and have our being. I want to connect that to that song that Nevaeh just led us in singing. And in particular, that line in that song, I have lived in the goodness of God. And I pray that you and I can see this morning the magnitude of that truth, that you and I live in the goodness of God. Whether you acknowledge His name or not, right now you are breathing in and out. Not primarily because of circumstance or science. You are breathing in and out because you are living in the goodness of God. You are living in the goodness. You exist in His goodness. All people everywhere exist in the goodness of God. Although, the majority of people on the earth do not believe that or acknowledge Him. Yet still, He sustains them. They are living in His goodness without knowing it. But some of us, by grace, according to faith, we are blessed because we know and we enjoy the reality of God's personal faithfulness. Our eyes have been opened to that. And we embrace it. And it is my sincere desire that you can sing those words in that song with sincere and heartfelt emotion, all of my life you have been faithful. Because you can look at your life and you can trace God's mercy and His kindness in all of your joy and in all of your suffering for all of your life and all of your days, even the parts of your life when you didn't know Him. Yet still you can look back and see, I lived in His goodness. And I've come to know Him in His goodness. And every day, He is faithful to me. All my life, He has been faithful to me. And that you and I can sing of His commitment to us as the one constancy that we have always been able to rely on. When everything else or every other person in some way has disappointed or failed us, the reality is that God has been committed to us. He doesn't need us. He is not depending on us. He gives life to us. He gives purpose to us. And it is my sincere desire that you and I and all of our church can say in agreement with the New Testament writers, God, you are faithful. Even when I am faithless, you are faithful. And if you can't say those things, and if you can't sing those truths with sincere and heartfelt emotion, it is my prayer that today would be the day that God reveals Himself to you. Even if it's on replay later on, that with repentance of your sin you would ask His Son Jesus to save you. And you would begin your personal journey of seeing and savoring the goodness of God. That God would not be boring to you or unknown to you. 
but from your heart would be affection that every single joy of your life is because of His goodness and His faithfulness. If you're a note taker in your handout this morning, we're going to start with this life truth. Very simply, God is faithful. It's what 1 Corinthians 1.9 says. It is what the Bible says to us over and over and over again throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is faithful. It's a simple sentence, but you can meditate on it and meditate on it and meditate on it and never get to the, to the very bottom depth of that reality that God is faithful. But I want us to, I want us to try to point at it. Not that we would fully grasp it, but I want us to try to point at it. And so I've made not an exhaustive list, not anywhere near an exhaustive list of how the Bible talks about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But a few points that the Bible says about His faithfulness. And I want us to meditate on it for a minute together as a church. And when I say meditate, the Bible, when it talks about meditation, and that is, by the way, a Christian discipline. Meditation is literally a mental chewing. It is savoring and tasting the truths and the goodness and the realities of God and His Word. I want us to do that for a few minutes together this morning about how God is faithful. So in your notes, He is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1.9 tells us that. That if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Will God forgive me? Yes. But, doesn't matter. But I did this, he knows. Will he keep forgiving and keep forgiving? Yes. He's faithful. Over and over and over again. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. John says he's not just faithful, he's just. In other words, it's fair, it is right for him to forgive you when you confess because Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. God is faithful to forgive you no matter what you've done over and over again. God is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to help you in temptation. He doesn't just forgive you of your sins, but he is faithful to help you when you're tempted 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, He is faithful to not let us be tempted beyond our ability to withstand. And He always provides an escape in the midst of temptation. When you are tempted, God knows where you are. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows the measure of grace that He has given you. All of us in this room, even those of us, all of us who are believers, we don't have the same measure of grace. We don't have the same spiritual maturity. And God knows each one of us, and His personal promise is that you individually will never be tempted beyond your spiritual ability and the grace that He has given you to withstand it. That's not going to look the same for every person. But He promises you to protect you, that you would never be able to say, I had no choice. He is faithful when you are tempted to give you a way out if you will look for the door. He is faithful to do that. He is faithful to keep 
His promises. God is faithful to keep His promises. Numbers 23, 19. God will not lie. We know no one like God. God will not lie. What He says, He will do. What He has spoken, He will fulfill. Every promise God made to His people in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, He fulfilled. He was faithful to those promises. In the coming of Christ in the New Covenant, every promise you see in the New Testament to a believer, to a saint, you are guaranteed God will keep that promise to you. It is without question. Whatever personal assurances He has made to you that are in line with His Spirit and His Word and with the counsel of wise people around you, He will keep that promise. He is faithful. He will not forget. He's not absent-minded. He will do what He has said because He is faithful. He is faithful to remain true to His character. God is faithful to remain true to His character. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Sometimes in marriage, we're going to talk about marriage in a few minutes. Sometimes in marriage, especially couples who are going through difficulty, they will say, well, you know, they're not the person that I married. And I, I, I'm going to be honest, I always chuckle a little bit at that. I'm like, they weren't the person you married six months after you married them. Because we're always constantly changing, hopefully maturing, but we're always changing. Jesus is not. Jesus doesn't change. You don't have to wonder, well, he was good before, but is he still good? He was faithful before, but is he still faithful? Is he still like that? Yes. And he always acts according to his character. He is always true to Himself. You may not always know what He is doing, but you can always bank on His character. He is always good. He is always loving. He is always merciful. He's always kind. He's always gracious. He's always truthful. He never acts outside of His character, and His character never changes. He is faithful. You can stand on that. He is your rock. You can trust Him all the days of your life. He is faithful to show you endless mercy. He is faithful to show you endless mercy. Lamentations 3. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Will God be merciful to me again? Yes. Much like we just said in forgiveness of sins, His mercy never runs out. Ever. He will be merciful to you over and over. God does not tire of you. God, you are not wearying Him coming to Him. He is merciful over and over and over. His mercy is new every morning. It means it is recent. Every day when you wake up, you have the mercy of God. You don't just have the mercy of God, though. You have the mercy of God that you need for that day. It is new mercy. 
His mercy will always meet your challenges. His mercy always fits what you need because He is faithful. And He knows what you need before you do. He is faithful to exercise patience with you. He is so patient with us. It is why we are called to be patient with other people. How patient should you be with someone? How patient do we want God to be with us? God, Exodus 34, 6, is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. His patience is so great that Peter said some people will actually use the reality of his patience to scoff and say God has forgotten his promises and isn't actually going to return. And Peter says actually what is happening is he is patient. He's giving time for people to repent of their sins. God is patient beyond what we can understand and that patience is personal for you. He is slow to anger, and He abounds in steadfast love. He is faithful to be near you without exception. Deuteronomy 31.6, God never leaves or forsakes us. Our sin can disrupt our fellowship with God, but as His children, our sin does not cause God to flee us. Nothing without exception causes God to forsake His people. He is near you always. He is near you always. He never leaves you. You may not always feel that, but that is the promise. And in those moments where you feel that He is not near, you remember God is faithful And He never leaves and He never forsakes. And God is faithful to work for your good. God is faithful to work for your good. Psalm 33, 4 says, All of God's work is done in faithfulness. Everything God is doing, the psalmist says, is from His faithfulness. To the earth, to His people, to Himself. Everything He does in your life is from His faithfulness. That doesn't make you and I the center of everything. It makes Him the center of everything. Because He is always working to show Himself as glorious and faithful to His people. And so God is faithful. That's just a taste of what His Word says. We live in the goodness of God. We live in the faithfulness of God. And and church, if that is a small thing to us, we need to abide with Him more than we are. If the goodness and faithfulness of God is a trivial thought to us, a foreign thought to us, then we need to be abiding more with God in His Word and in prayer, because this is what our life is built on. This is what our breath is built on, the goodness and faithfulness of God. We live in it. And because we live in it, we are to live by it as well. So let's continue the life truth. God is faithful 
And so the wise are faithful. God is faithful, and so the wise are faithful. We're in Proverbs. And so Proverbs 28.20, one of the wise sayings. Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Now, this is interesting. When you look at these wise sayings, a wise saying, most often, these Proverbs that we're reading, most often presents to us, in each one of them, a directly connected opposing principle. So it takes one principle and presents to us a directly connected opposing principle. So the principle that we're given in Proverbs 28.20 is that a faithful man will abound in blessings. And what's the opposing principle to that? Whoever hastens or is in a hurry to be rich will not go unpunished. So what can we learn from that? One of the things we can learn from that is that the opposite of faithfulness is self-centeredness. The faithful are just that. They are like God. They are faithful to others in the way God is faithful to them. And they are self-sacrificing. And they care about other people more than their own rights. Because God has shown us that way. Jesus Christ, who cared and loved us more than what was right for Him, He laid down His rights to die in our place. So that is what a wise person does. A foolish person is someone who has one thought. I want to be rich and I want to be rich now. I want blessings and I want them now. And I'm going to do everything I can to get everything I can because it's all about me. That is the foolish way to live. God's people are to be faithful as He is faithful. That means we're to be faithful in the same manner that He is faithful. You can take that list that we just looked at and you could go back through that list and you could understand that those are marching orders for Christians on how we are to be faithful to one another and to others. In every way, not exactly, but in the same manner, we are to be faithful that way. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever abides in Jesus ought to walk or live in the same manner in which He lived. We are to do what Christ did. Ephesians 5.1 says, Children of God, be imitators of God. Imitate your Father. Galatians 5 says that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, singular, sorry, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, an aspect of that is faithfulness. We are to be faithful as God is faithful. In your notes, Jerry Bridges talks about faithfulness this way. God wants us to be dependable even when it costs us. That is what distinguishes godly faithfulness from the ordinary dependability of secular society. Secular society in the world we live in is faithful up to the point that it costs them something. The idea of dependability in our secular world is I'm dependable as long as I'm getting something out of it. Faithfulness in the Bible, biblical faithfulness, takes us well beyond our rights. As a matter of fact, 
The Bible cares very little about what we think is right for us. The Bible tells us to put what is right for us in the hands of God and focus our attention on serving Him and serving others. Throughout Scripture, in your notes, throughout Scripture, blessings follow faithfulness. Church, that is really important because, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, but we want it reversed. We want blessings so that we will be faithful. And the promise of Scripture over and over is, be faithful, and what will follow will be blessings. The blessings of God. In Matthew 24, we see a picture of one of the principles in the Bible that really is It's throughout the Bible, but certainly throughout the New Testament and in a lot of the parables that Jesus talked about. And that is this idea that blessings come from faithfulness. And that blessing, that blessing often includes more work, more responsibility, more resources to be faithful over. All right, every one of us in this room, it doesn't matter how old you are, every one of us in this room that can understand you have been given certain things by God. Certain resources, people, certain blessings, certain roles, certain responsibilities. And while you may look at your life and think that you stumbled across those things because of circumstance or your choices or life decisions, the reality is God has placed those in your care. And His desire is for us to be faithful with those things, where we are and what He has given us. And the biblical principle is, if you are faithful today with what He has given you, He will give you more later to be faithful with and over. Some of that principle you will see in this life. There will be times where God will bless your faithfulness in this life and give you more. But the totality of that promise and the fulfillment of it will come in eternity. I said a couple of weeks ago, I think we're going to work in eternity. We won't have the curse on the work, but we will work. I think we're going to have responsibilities in eternity. Now, I don't go as far as, as kind of my upbringing. And I was, I was raised in denominations that taught we would be kings and we would rule countries and things like that. And I was going to be honest, I don't know what it's going to look like. I do know the Bible says things like we will judge angels. I do know the Bible tells us that we will be rewarded with more faithful work. And I think that will come in the presence of God for all of eternity. But you will see that principle on earth and in heaven. That as you are faithful with what He has given you, that He will give you more to be faithful with. So in Matthew 24, what Tamara read for us this morning, Jesus is talking about His return. And He says, stay awake. Church, stay awake. Stay vigilant. Because you don't know on the day your Lord is coming. He previously said, no one knows. Not angels, not even the Son, but only the Father knows. And he goes on to talk about that if a thief knew, excuse me, if the master of a house knew when the thief was coming, he'd have stayed awake. But we as believers, we're to stay awake all the time. 
Because we don't know when our master will return. And then he tells a parable. And he asks a question. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? He's asking that to us. Where are my faithful servants? And the question comes to us. Am I faithful? And he describes what a faithful servant is. The one whom his master has set over his household to give them food at their proper time. To take care of those he has placed in my care. Man, for leaders to feed God's word to his people at the right time. For parents, for spouses, for friends to feed people the word of God at the right time. And he says, blessed is that servant. Blessed are you if when the master shows up unexpectedly, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, what he has given you to do. Blessed are you. Blessed are you if the day he calls you home, you are found doing what he has given you to do, being faithful to what he has given you to do. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by a people group in eastern Ecuador that he was trying to take the gospel to. And Elizabeth Elliot, who later became a missionary to that same group of people who killed her husband, said, this job has been given me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I make to God. Therefore, it is done gladly if it is done for Him. Here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. That job, you can replace that with your job that you have every day, you can replace that with your role, with your circumstances, with your resources. Blessed is the one who remains faithful. Even when that job and those circumstances and those resources are not what you want them to be. God rewards faithfulness. If we had our way, God would give us blessings and the reward and then we would be faithful. Honestly, most of us have operated somehow like that in our life. God, if you would just bless me here, if you would just change this circumstance, if you would just give me a different job, if you would just change my spouse, if you would just give me more money, I would be faithful with it. I would do good. I just need you to do this. I don't have enough right now to give. I don't, my spouse is not acting the way I want them to. They are not kind to me. God, if you would just change this, if you would just get me out of this position, God, then I will be faithful if you will just give me those. And it's like God is asking, if you're not faithful with this little I've given you, why do you think you will be faithful if I give you more? Be faithful where I've put you. Be faithful where you are. And blessings will follow. Trust me. God, how can I trust you? Because I have been faithful to you your whole life. You live in my goodness. Trust me. And there is perhaps no place that this temptation 
to ask God for blessings so that we might be faithful shows up more assuredly than in marriage. In Proverbs chapter 5, all of chapter 5, in half of Proverbs chapter 6, and in all of Proverbs chapter 7, God dedicates all of those chapters of Proverbs to warn us against being unfaithful to our marriage vows. That's a lot of real estate, which probably tells us how important it is. The wise are faithful people, and therefore, they are faithful in their marriage. That's the picture. Here is a somewhat difficult, but I think can be freeing truth as well. Faithfulness in marriage is not primarily about you. Faithfulness in marriage is not primarily about your spouse. Faithfulness in marriage is primarily about the glory of the gospel of Christ, which marriage represents. The first call to faithfulness in a marriage is to remember God has been faithful to you, and you are called to display His faithfulness. And one of the ways that you do that, if He gives you a spouse, is in marriage. So those of us in this room who are married... Those of us in this room who may one day be married. Marriage is primarily about the glory of the gospel of Christ. Now some some people would say that teaching someone to stay in a marriage, even if it's loveless and even if it's a suffering marriage, that that is mean-spirited. And I will say... It is a very hard thing. It's a very hard thing to stay faithful in a marriage that is loveless or suffering or going through difficulties. But the point of the exhortation is blessings follow faithfulness. In every marriage, there are going to be times and seasons of suffering and pain and maybe even lovelessness. But what we're being told is that if we will make an offering of faithfulness to God and we will see it as a privilege to do that for Him, then His blessings will follow. And if you are the spouse that is trying to be faithful to God in the midst of pain and suffering and lovelessness, you have the promise of His blessings to follow. And if both of the spouses in that marriage will seek after being faithful to one another as God has called them, then the blessing will be on the marriage and on the family that the marriage has produced, if it has. Now, as an aside, I just want to say, because unfortunately in our day and time, we have to say these things. Faithfulness is not the same as silence. If you're in a marriage that is deeply suffering... And deeply troubled, you need to seek help. You need to go to godly counselors and you need to seek help. One of the things that I think we've gotten so backwards in the church is that we don't open up our marriages to counsel in the church. We're afraid to talk about going through difficult times in our marriages. And so the church finds out about difficulty in marriage when it's too late to do anything about it. 
We should be open and transparent. If you are married in this room and I ask you, raise your hand if you find your marriage difficult and you didn't raise your hand, you need to go read the passages that warn you about lying. Because it is always hard. We need to be transparent about that with each other. And if we're struggling in our marriage, we need to go to godly wise people and say, we are struggling. We need help. Now, if you're the spouse that's really struggling and your spouse is not wanting to follow along, I don't mean go to 19 people and tell them that. But you need to find one or two godly counselors to seek out what do I do next. And one more thing that I hate having to say, but I need to say, hopefully not for marriages here, but maybe marriages that are connected to you. Being faithful to a marriage doesn't mean being silent when there's abuse. Verbal abuse, physical abuse, things of that nature need to be dealt with and addressed. Faithfulness doesn't mean you stay in danger if you're in danger. Faithfulness may mean that you need to put some godly wise people around you and separate out of that situation until such a time as it can be addressed and dealt with. And I think you should go to the leaders of your church if you're involved in one and let them know what's happening and they are responsible and should be for helping to address that in a right way. But it is not just deeply suffering and troubled marriages that fall into disarray because what Proverbs teaches us in Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7 is that the simple, the uncommitted people who are not committed to wisdom are folly, And the foolish, those who are not living in the fear of the Lord, they can easily be deceived and swayed out of their marriage vows to not be faithful to those things. In chapters 5 through 7, unfaithfulness is personified as an evil lady. Now, at the same time, I want to remind you that in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as an upright lady. So just as we are all called to be wise... Both men and women can fall into unfaithfulness to their marriage vows, and both men and women can be the tempter that causes people to not be faithful to their marriage vows. And it should be noted that unfaithfulness can come in many forms. If you look at this list that we just looked at, if we are faithful, the the one at the beginning, God is faithful, if we are faithful like God is to our spouse, that means we should be faithful to forgive over and over and over again. We should be faithful to help one another in temptation. The Bible actually teaches that we are responsible as husbands and wives to help prevent temptation in our marriage. We have that responsibility to one another. I won't dive into that any further, but see me after the service if you need further explanation. We should keep our promises to one another. We should remain true to the character of God in our marriages. We should show endless mercy to one another. We should be patient with our spouse. We should be near them without exception. We should not withdraw from them our love in order to teach them a lesson. We should work for their good. That's just a snapshot of faithfulness in marriage. 
unfaithfulness comes in many forms, but certainly it comes in physical, emotional, and mental unfaithfulness, which is described in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. So I want to give four practical statements out of those chapters, 5, 6, and 7, about faithfulness in marriage as presented to us in Proverbs. And if you are married, or one day be married, much of Proverbs and the chapters on what marriage is and what it should look like, and the dangers of unfaithfulness in those chapters is it's very important for us to read and consider. But four practical pieces of wisdom and counsel from Proverbs about faithfulness in marriage. Number one, faithfulness in marriage begins with your personal abiding with God. Faithfulness in marriage begins with your own personal abiding with God. Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 25 says this, My son and my daughter, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from unfaithfulness, from the smooth tongue of an adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. So the command, the principle from Proverbs is abide with God. Know His character, His wisdom, His commands and put them in your heart. And then rest in those, and they will protect you from the deception of unfaithfulness. The unfaithful woman, the unfaithful person, is beautiful, according to Solomon. It's desirable. Looks good. But if your heart is filled with the beauty of Christ, there is no room for your heart to be overcome by the beauty of of unfaithfulness. It's important for you to note that the instruction is not to fill your heart with the beauty of your spouse so that you're not overcome by unfaithfulness. You are to fill your heart with the beauty of Christ and His Word and His teaching that you might not be overcome by unfaithfulness. Secondly, a godly marriage is protected by an intentional pursuit of joy with your spouse. So you begin with your own personal abiding with God. Don't spend so much time and effort worried about your spouse's relationship with God as much as you're worrying about your own relationship with God. I am not saying you should not be concerned about your spouse's walk with Christ, but I'm saying you need to primarily be abiding with Christ yourself. Secondly, Protect your marriage by intentionally pursuing joy with your spouse. So Proverbs 5.18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice with the spouse that you are with, the spouse that you may have been with for many years. Rejoice there. Church, to rejoice in your spouse, we need to actually put effort into our marriages. 
We need to be intentional, spending time together, doing things that we mutually enjoy, talking, loving one another. You can't just exist in the same home. When you have children, your whole life changes, but you have to find time to nurture your marriage and pursue each other with intentionality. You protect your marriage that way. It's not silly to put intentional thought into how to please your spouse and to try to do things to help them be joyful and to find joy together. It's a very good exercise. One of the dangers in marriages with children is we, we run the risk, as much as we love our kids, and those of you who are kids, if one day God blesses you with your own marriages, you will face this same issue. But we make the marriage all about the kids. And then one day, 18, 19, 20 years down the road, or much more if you have larger families, all the kids are gone and you realize, I don't even know this person. Because you spent all this time centering everything on the children and not on intentionality and joy in your marriage. Third, unfaithfulness in marriage is both alluring and deceptive. Unfaithfulness in marriage is both alluring and deceptive. In other words, there is something about the opportunity to be unfaithful that will be mysteriously attractive to you. It might just be the fact that you even have the opportunity to be unfaithful. And somehow, that stirs something in you. But when you don't flee it, it becomes deceptive. And the way Solomon put it in Proverbs 7, over several different verses, ending with the ones that are in your handout today, for all, for out of the window of my house I've looked out and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night of darkness. Pause. That's a picture of someone playing around with unfaithfulness. I'm just going to go down this road just a little bit. I'm just going to turn this corner for a moment. And see what happens. And behold, the woman meets him. With such seductive speech, she persuades him. So see, he was allured, and now he's deceived. She persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Unfaithfulness in marriage is both alluring and deceptive. There's something mysteriously attractive about it. But if we play around with it, it will capture us before we've even realized it. Which brings us to the last of these practical warnings and truths about marriage. To even entertain unfaithfulness will bring great harm. To even entertain unfaithfulness 
of any kind will bring great harm. Proverbs 6, 27 and 28 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burned? And the answer is no. To entertain or play with unfaithfulness is like picking up fire. Or Proverbs goes on to say, walking on hot coals and thinking, my feet won't get scorched by this. I won't get burned if I do this. Proverbs says you will. And I want to end with a challenging proverb. And I debated whether or not to present this one, but I think it's important. Verse 32 and 33 in in Proverbs 6, while giving us this warning, says, He who commits unfaithfulness lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. When I read that, I thought, man, but what about Jesus? Doesn't Jesus wipe away every tear? Doesn't Jesus take our shame? Proverbs presents to us principles that we need to understand. One of the principles is, if you are unfaithful, there will be harm that will come because of that. To you and to others. And in a way, that wound will be carried the remainder of your life. So be warned against it. Be faithful where you are. I don't care if it's a marriage or a remarriage or whatever it looks like. Where God has placed you, where you are right now, be faithful. And that may be a lot of hard work, and you may need to get in with what you do. Need to be in with a community of believers that you can be transparent with and that you can receive counsel from. And stay faithful. It is my goal, my hope, my vision, whatever you want to call it, that in the next couple of years that as Agape we launch, we have a ministry to marriages, both in our church and for our community, where we are raising up marriages here that are being transparent with one another and working together to strengthen our marriages and that we open up and have an opportunity to have marriages from our community or people in our church who are struggling to join with that and receive help. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it is is on my heart and has been on my heart for quite a while that we would do that. Secondly, all of Proverbs is about Jesus. And in a natural sense, when we are unfaithful, our disgrace can never be wiped away. But with God, all things are possible. And with Christ, who He alone was sacrificed for our sins. He takes our shame. He wipes our tears away. And we find our rest in Him. We find our hope in Him. We find our restoration in Him. Not so that we can then just continue to live the way we want, but so that we can live being faithful where He has placed us for the remainder of our days because we live in the goodness of God. And our God is faithful. So we too are to be faithful. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come up to lead us in singing.
And as they do, I want to draw your attention in our worship guide to the front page and to the prayer focus for this week, which comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. It's a prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And I want that to be our prayer today. And I hope throughout this week. Let us pray that the Lord would direct our hearts to His love. Let us pray that every person at Agape would be filled with the assurance of God's faithfulness to them. That no one would doubt that, that God is faithful. That He never leaves or forsakes us. That He is a faithful God. Let all of us rest and bank our lives on that and be filled with the joy of trusting in His faithfulness. And may the Lord direct our hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. So let us pray this week that the people of Agape might be faithful as Christ is faithful. That we might be faithful to one another as Christ is faithful. That we might take time to ponder, how is Jesus faithful to me? Okay, how is Jesus faithful to me? Now, how can I go and be faithful to other people in that same way? Because if I do that, I glorify my Savior. How can I be faithful to my spouse the way Christ is faithful to me? How can I nurture my spouse the way Christ nurtures me? How can I treat them the way He treats me? This morning we have some prayer partners who will be over to my left. I believe that the Deans and the Acox. They are there to pray for you about anything that you need. But I specifically want to ask this morning that if you would like prayers for the strengthening of your marriage, if you would like prayers for help and faithfulness in marriage, and you would like prayer for that. Maybe it's just you and your spouse. Pray for that together. Maybe that's what needs to happen. Or maybe you would like to come and be prayed for. They are there for that reason. Not because they have marriage perfectly down. Jennifer made a joke yesterday when I asked them to pray. But we're all imperfect people who are striving after Christ that we might have His perfection. And if it's about anything else, healing, help of any kind that you need, you can come and be prayed for. So Father, I ask you this morning that you would fill our hearts with a belief of your faithfulness, that we live in your goodness, that all of our lives you have been faithful, that right now we breathe in and out because you are good. Let us be overcome and overwhelmed by your goodness. God, someone Wednesday night at our men's group was so overcome by your goodness that they had to run into a different room and shout. And while in the natural, that, that was unusual, God, to be filled with that kind of love for your goodness. Let it not be a little thing to us. Let it overwhelm us how good you are. 
And God, let that overflow from us. That we want to be faithful like you were faithful. That we want to pursue the rewards of faithfulness. Because you tell us to. God, please. And let Jesus direct us to his steadfastness. God, help us where we've sinned and where we've failed. And wipe away our shame. Because you are faithful to forgive. God, for all of our marriages in this room, for all the people who will one day be married, God, help us to be faithful for the glory of Christ. Strengthen us that we might strengthen others. And bring the lost to believe upon you for salvation. If anyone here today, if you have doubts about your salvation, about your walk with the Lord, and you are willing to talk about that today, please let me know. Or come talk to Nick. We may talk here or we may talk at a different time. If you've never been baptized in faith because of what Christ has done in your heart and you've never been baptized as an external proclamation of what He has done in your heart, we would love to baptize you here. You can talk to me or talk to Nick about that and we will make time for that discussion. Pray and worship and let us meditate on the goodness of God and His faithfulness.